You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Welcome to the Formed and Sent podcast, a podcast by and for the Village Church that gathers in downtown Hamilton, Ohio. My name is Scott, and with me today is Matt Tucker, one of the pastors of the Village Church. My name is Michael Graham. Same. <laughs> Same-sies. Same, same-sies. Uh, so this is part two, uh, kind of a part two and part three. Uh, part two of a conversation about social justice, part three, and uh, a bit of an Exodus supplement mini-series that we're doing here on the podcast to help us uh, just kind of inform the church and really inform ourselves as well better on uh, just some stuff that we see in Exodus uh, 21 through 23. Um, where God kind of gives a bunch of case law to his people. And so some of that was about slavery. So we did an episode on slavery in scripture just to help, you know, again, inform us and help us be a little bit more well-rounded in how we even begin to understand slavery and its relationship with the Bible. Um, And then last time, I kind of dug into um, a first conversation around social justice in the scriptures because that's uh, literally, the ESV editors chose to include a heading uh, in one of the in, in part of uh, this chunk that's literally about laws concerning social justice. And so, um, even apart from those things, we certainly see God's justice come through in different ways and ways that might be controversial or different or whatever today. And so, we just wanted to, to spend some time and talk about those things as they are culturally relevant, biblically relevant, uh, and relevant to the people here at the village. So, if you've not listened to that. Uh, first conversation, at least on social justice, would encourage you to go back and do that before we jump in to this one. Um, so go do that if you want to. But we are going to start off um, here by just giving a kind of a, a big picture uh, vision of what our biblical or what our theological perspective on on bringing justice to bear um, on the here and now actually is, like in, in tangible ways, bringing justice to bear on society as social justice might be inclined to care about thoughts man it's it's a big deal um i'll talk about more what it is in just a second but as i was thinking through this question apart from just sharing the gospel verbally bringing justice and, and caring about people and, and equality and it's, it's one of the greatest ways we can represent christ in this world hmm. And so it's massively important, and we talked about what it was specifically a little bit last in the last podcast, but just briefly to summarize it, it's, it's loving others, it's, it's caring, it's, it's meeting needs, it's, it's seeking for justice in a world where injustice prevails sometimes, and it just involves us being mindful of those around us, and maybe to our disadvantage trying to help others. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's maybe putting our own preferences or maybe betterment down so that way we can for the community care for them and and bless them it's good so we have a great savior who redeems us and he uh, left for our benefit so that he might send the holy spirit that equips us to you know as micah would say do justice love kindness and walk humbly with our god and and because of that man we get to Reflect, and we get to consider what's going on around us, the people that we know, how we are uh, contributors to injustice, and how we have received uh, injustice. Uh, on the on the other hand, uh, we get to be informed, and we get to have a pulse um, about what's going on, and, and we get to use 
again, the gifts, the influence that God has given us, no matter where we find ourselves. Again, in Scripture, in prison mm-hmm. or, or in a king's tower. Yeah. Like, we get to mm-hmm. use our influence. Um, you see someone like Joseph, who was like, like he was the, the lowliest of lowly, alienated by his brothers, uh, in prison, falsely, mm-hmm. all those things. And he got to do the same thing. Uh, he got to to speak truth and love, and and then he man he rose to prominence mm-hmm. culturally, and he got to do the same thing. Yeah, uh, live live truth uh, or live love out, out of the truth that he bears. One significant thing is that we can't always be about everything. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty significant. It is. Um, yeah. That's something. That's not just me justifying why I'm not involved in. You name the social activism of, of the day or whatever, but it's like um, you just can't. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the beauty of the diversity of God's church is that some are elbows and and some are esophaguses and some are eyeballs and ears and and like it, God gifts us and that's why I started this. Like His Holy Spirit gifts us with passions and gifts um, and opportunity and and even awareness to see what's going on around us, mm-hmm. so that we might uniquely engage. With love and justice, um, wherever we find ourselves. Yeah, and we should look at the varying passions and desires for justice in the world, so long as they are aligned with Scripture and God's truth. Like we should look at people's varying passions for that stuff and be encouraged mm-hmm. by that stuff, and want to encourage folks to engage in those things. Um, you know, in in Christ's name and, and for His fame or whatever. And so, like, we get to do that and not like look at well, but people don't care about what I care about. <laughs> So why not? And be better about that stuff. Um, Yeah, theologically, I mean, like Jesus brought a kingdom. Uh, He brought his kingdom here uh, that's that's not of this world. And that doesn't mean that like it doesn't have bearing on the world. It means that it's it's not a kingdom that is wrought or brought from the state or from political power or revolution or any of those things at all. It's it's a kingdom that he brought from heaven. Um, and was inaugurated in his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension where he's sitting on the throne at the right hand of God. And that kingdom is here already. Um, and yet it's like it's not yet fully here as if everyone is bowing their knee to Jesus and living in such a way where, man, his kingdom is the only one that we see. <laughs> That's not the way it is right now. And, and so I, I think like some of us have an underrealized eschatology where like, uh, we, we disbelieve that God's kingdom is here in, in any kind of power at all. And so that keeps us from actually like like living for justice, for, for change in some way that starts with the church, um, but then is mindful of how we might be able to, to be influential in the world as well. Um, and then some of us have an over-realized eschatology where it's like, why aren't things better yet? Or like, uh, we're going to fix this here and now. And, and it's like, ah, but, but we don't actually have the power <laughs> to do all that. Because in order to bring God's kingdom here in its fullness, we have to be able to reach into people's hearts and like change them for the Lord. Um, and, we, and we just simply cannot do that. Um, so I think eschatology even weirdly has some like influence on the way that we see things here and now. Um, and then we engage with uh, with some of that stuff or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, you brought up Joseph, Michael, um, certainly New Testament stuff, like the church being under the rule of an empire is a little bit different. You know, we living in a, a democratic republic, you know, we get to have some more sway in what laws are passed and who we ask to represent ourselves. And we get to have, you know, a voice and free speech and those things. And we see Paul kind of use and exercise his rights as a Roman citizen a couple times in Acts 
for some for some neat things. Um, yeah, and so I think today we get to exercise those our rights as American citizens um, for for the good of our community uh, because we care about Jesus and we care about people mm-hmm. and we want folks again not just to like feel. Uh, equitable or feel the effects of justice, but we also want them to know that like justice is found in Jesus mm-hmm. um, first and foremost. And so, yeah, I don't know, like big picture stuff. Anything else there you guys would hit on for that? Absolutely. Good, cool. Um, so uh, I guess like let's let's interact with some ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, there's all kinds of things out there uh, that get labeled as cultural Marxism or critical theory or critical race theory or intersectionality. There's all these thoughts and ideas that are like, um, they matter. They're meaningful. Uh, they exist at a scholarly, academic level, and then there's like the the popular level at which most people probably access some of those ideas. Um, Robin DiAngelo or uh, Kendi, or you read White Fragility, or you read How to Be an Anti-Racist, or uh, what have you. You will interact with some of these ideas, whether or not you even know it. Um, and so, I think one of the things we talked about last time that's really unhelpful uh, and makes this conversation complicated is like not being able to define what things are, what do words mean? <laughs> and so that's why we're going to spend most of our time in this podcast interacting with ideas specifically, not just labels, but man, at the same time, like helpful maybe to have some big picture understanding of, of what some of those things mean. Um, so when we talk about like uh, critical theory or critical race theory, which has been like largely just, we've heard a lot about it. Maybe you haven't. We've heard a lot about it. Um, certainly in the church, in, in culture, in politics, even the, the White House, like passing a, mm-hmm. I think it was an executive action, like getting rid of, you know, CRT. Uh, it's the shorthand version for critical race theory, like in training and all that stuff or whatever. It's like, what is going on? It's happening here. So um, like long story short, cultural or uh, critical theory kind of having roots a bit in Marxism, um, which is like a, uh, Karl Marx, like just wanting to understand, um, not, not just understand, but also transform uh, culture in such a way that, like, from an economic perspective, disparity that's there and how power um, plays a part in those things, not just uh, with with the uh, uh, like the ideas of oppressor and oppressed and all that stuff. We see that there's like uh, a distinction, a difference in class and how power dynamics and all that stuff um, actually lead to oppression, and then. Again, not just wanting to understand that that's like a dynamic or that's a thing, but then wanting to lead to transformation. Um, critical theory uh, kind of arises uh, from this idea of, okay, it's it's beyond not just economics, but it actually engages like all these other aspects in society and culture as well. Um, one of those facets was uh, critical legal theory, um, which was like in the justice system, how do power dynamics and all these things play out? And then uh, a group of people wanted to then explore how did race specifically have a, a, a part to play in those power dynamics and how uh, oppression uh, continued to play out in the, in the legal system. And so critical race theory then developed from that. And so, uh, again, these are these ideas, these philosophies, people will use them and they will mean different things if you're just having a conversation with people. Really important to know that. I'm sure somebody will hear what I just said and be like, that's not how it happened. Okay, that's fine. I, I don't have any dog that. <laughs> that's my understanding of it, right? And maybe I'm wrong yeah. in some ways. Um, but at the end of the day, like that, that is uh, at least a sliver of kind of how that developed. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge on the front end um, that man, that the aim of that stuff to understand 
where there might be injustice and oppression there um, and to fix it, like, man, I think that we can uh, maybe affirm that there is, at least in humanity as image bearers, like in a, something in us that wants to be able to, when we see injustice, to get it and then to fix it and not want it to be there. And so, like, I, we can attribute all sorts of wrong motives to people that, you know, adhere to a particular political or economic philosophy. But if we can just step back for a sec and say, like, hey, like, oppression, bad. Injustice, bad. We don't want that to be there anymore. Can we at least agree on that in some way? It doesn't mean that the way we go about doing that, that the, that the diagnosis we give and the prescription we give and all that stuff for those things is right. But we can at least acknowledge, like, okay, like, at least start there. Is that fair, yeah. even? In some ways. Okay. So wanting to interact with some of the ideas then that might come from from these theories uh, or at least be related in some way to them. One of those is like the understanding of like kind of group identity or corporate identity versus uh, individual identity in some way. And so we'll probably overlap in some of these questions or whatever, but like... Um, one question, and maybe it's not even the right question, is this. Like, what, where does my responsibility uh, begin and end for my neighbor? Like, for their plights or for their care? Like, how do I even understand? Like, that communal yeah. responsibility that we have. Is that even the right question? Or how, how do we even go about, like, thinking about some of that stuff? I think it's a good question, man. Um, and I think we all get to ask that. Um, I think it's important to see. I know, like, maybe stereotypically, but like America is very individualistic. Mm-hmm. It's all about what follow your heart or what is, you know, you, whatever, pull yourself up by bootstraps. And I think it's important to see that God made us a part of the human, we're all part of the human race. Yeah. We all are created with dignity, value, and worth. Even, you know, we're a part of a church or a community. We all like to be a part of things. And so I think we get to also see ourselves certainly as an individual made by God, but we are together a body, a race. And so we can't disconnect ourselves from those around us. I think as we start this conversation, one of the ways we start is by understanding, um, you know, where does my responsibility begin for the, the plight of somebody? Mm-hmm. It, it, if they think there's a plight there, whether we think it's real or not, or whatever we get to out of love, sit with them and be present and say, gosh, like, how are you doing? Like, what is going on here? We have to understand, first of all, with a humble heart. Um, and then and overall, like, that's what God has done to us. Like, you talked about how the gospel intersects with us. But God has not finished being present with us. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's renewing us and helping us in our time of need nonstop. And so it doesn't begin or end in a certain spot, but as there, there will always be plight. We talked in the last one about how there will always be the poor among us. We get to sit with these people, sit with people who have needs of all different types, whether it's oppression or abuse or whatever, understand, care for them, show love and concern. And then I think if we do that, probably the way forward in how to actually help mm-hmm. in, in a tangible way will be more clear. Right. Yeah. That's good. Uh, I want to go back to something you said in the kind of summary of all that stuff. Sure. And you said, um, I mean, rightly, uh, that uh, there was some CRT um, training that like the White House, mm-hmm. you know, kind of bumped, you know, Next, and yeah. said, yeah. And so, but the headlines of that mm-hmm. were, were Trump Nix's anti-racist training. Mm-hmm. That it, like that's why this matters, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you like you guys know and you listeners out there, uh, <laughs> I'm not Republican Democrat Trump's like this is not a defensive. Yeah, I'm just saying you have to know there were people that would hear that, and and it would mean something different. Yeah, and oh oh there he is that that's affirming my group's cause. Mm-hmm. 
and and Trump is the enemy or the Republicans are the enemy or whatever. Um, but then when you look at it, like what was the training that was rejected? And some of that is the stuff that we're talking about yeah. right here. And so while we can't agree, gosh, injustice, bad, mm-hmm. like love neighbor, mm-hmm. good. <laughs> yeah. The way to go about that from a Christian worldview, like there is danger even in doing good mm-hmm. with with elements of things that are um, eroding at the foundation of the gospel. Sure. I, I think it's fair to say, like, I think I would hope that Christians would say <laughs> Jesus, like, would not be cool with racism before critical theory or critical race theory ever showed up. And so, like, sure. we don't need those those specific ways of understanding mm-hmm. the world or understanding power or really, like, it's understanding humanity in mm-hmm. lots of ways, like, which is really important. And we can get at that or whatever. Yeah, I think like, we will. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, understanding humanity in such a like, you don't need all of the stuff that comes with that or that in general in order to to say no, like racism is, and to fight against that. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So as it relates to corporate, individual identity, responsibility, all those things, um, I would say, uh, I, I think it was, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's okay to, to be a proud American or Scotsman or man or woman or whatever. Um, but I also think that I have more in common with a 90-year-old Filipino peanut farmer who is in Christ than I do my twin brother, I don't have a twin brother, who, who is not in Christ. Yeah. For me, that's pretty significant mm-hmm. as, as it relates to group dynamics. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll read, uh, because I mean, this is, we probably read this last time. Um, Galatians 3, 28, uh, I'll, I'll read 27, 28, 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ... Like for those who are in Christ, we we get to put on Christ. That's pretty significant. That becomes our identity. That becomes like our team, our family, who we are. And then it goes on. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, there's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all uh, for for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. But at the same time, all throughout the New Testament, like Paul heralds his his heritage mm-hmm. and so it's not like you can't be again american like it's not that's not a sin to mm-hmm. say to, to wear a, a flag on your shirt yeah like and you shouldn't feel like it, it is like it's okay to to be from a, a different whatever and be proud of that but it can't be primary mm-hmm. like it, it mm-hmm. just can't be yeah. if if you are something other than christ mm-hmm. in your primary identity then you are set up for like for a foundation that can't withstand the cultural barrage and onslaught of what's coming at you. Yeah. And even to what Galatians is getting at, it's saying like, you don't have to be either a man or a woman or Jew or Greek or like these, those categories don't give you a, a better standing in the kingdom of God. You don't have to, to swap one and get the, like in order for you to be in Christ. That's what that's saying. And so like, yeah, it, those things matter. Like, being a man or a woman matters. Like, those differences are upheld throughout the scriptures and Old Testament, New Testament. And so are differences between Jews and Gentiles and all that. Like, that's significant. It's when we we would say, no, like, those things actually give me a better standing or a better, like, a closer understanding of the truth or what have you. Like, that is dangerous. Or to to the extent of, like, like, you can't be a Christian and be you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, man, that's really dangerous too. Yeah, so to the, well, what responsibility, like I get to make right what I make wrong. Yeah. That's, I mean, just repentance 
And I also get to make right um, through the influence and the passion and the opportunity and the insight or whatever that God's given me. I get to make that right too mm-hmm. with limited time and with limited finances and with limited with Absolutely. all kinds of limited resources. Yeah, um, That's what I get to do for my neighbor. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what we get to be mindful of. Some I, We think of this stuff and sometimes our mind goes to like, like all of the people that are in need that that are like in some sort of plight or need care and like just over and over again the scriptures like call us to those who are like who we pass on the street or those who are our friend or family or neighbor and certainly even in the new testament like the our primary like aim being the church even like brothers and sisters in christ making sure that they're cared for Mm -hmm. um in some way like that's who we get to be mindful of. If I'm passing somebody on the street or someone approaches me and says, hey, can I, whatever, and I just like brush them off, like even if I don't have anything in my pocket to offer them or anything tangible to give them, I get to look them in the eye. They do down in the parking lot. I remember like we, we ran into him walking or whatever, like gave the guy a hug and like talked to him. And just even that was like dignifying to him, sharing the gospel with him. Mm-hmm. He prayed for me, which is like mm-hmm. just crazy. Like, but that, that kind of stuff is the work that we get to do too, not just, it, it's not just about, hey, can I fix this thing? We talked about that a little bit in the last episode. Um, yeah, but it's like, am I responsible for everyone? No, but like at the same time, if if I if I have the opportunity, then man, absolutely, I, I should yeah. step in and do something, even if that doesn't look like maybe what even that person is expecting or wanting or needing from me in that moment. So uh, I think also like a conversation that kind of comes up around this stuff is like, um, in terms of responsibility, like if it's, if you're like telling me I have to, but then it doesn't count or it's bad or something, like it has to be this like yeah. spirit driven, you know, like voluntary thing, which is, I would, uh, on one hand, I agree with, you know, like, like the new Testament is very much all about, I mean, Paul does this all the time where he's like, this would be good and I want you to do whatever, but I'm not going to like. Even though I could tell you what to do, I'm not going to tell you what to do here. You know, like he, he wants us to be motivated by the gospel and by the spirit within us to do something. And at the same time, man, like I don't think we would look back at the law. We're, again, we're, this is spring from Exodus and say, well, like God was just being a coercive jerk, you know, and like not actually cultivating a, a loving community because he was telling them what to do and he was telling them to give and he was telling them to be like, I don't think we would say that at all either. But that is, that's a conversation that comes up a lot as well. Um, I think it's okay for us in obedience, like obedience is good. And so even if it's something we don't want to do, like, Hey, there's this thing called sanctification that like the Lord wants to work on us in. And sometimes that's through obeying, even when we don't feel like doing it or whatever. And so, um, so let's talk about specifically around this too, like, um, being guilty for the, the sins of people like that are in our group and, you know, specifically like when I hit on CRT stuff in terms of like like being a white person, um, like, does that mean that we are responsible for, uh, in general, like the sins of our, our father's past or our participation in stuff that maybe we don't even know we're participating in systemic injustice. Like, I guess, are we guilt? Are we guilty for the sins of other people that, that we might have affiliation with in some sort of group? I think this is a tough question. Um, and I agree, man. Honestly, <laughs> we haven't actually talked about it as staff, and so what I say, hopefully we get to shape it together. But I think <laughs> it's yes and no. Um, and we have to be mindful that we're a part of like a group of people like that, whether you're a white male that's over 40 or whether you're you know, African-American or whatever it is, you, yeah. you're connected with groups, and, and those groups may have done horrible wrongs or think a wrong way about another race of people or oppress something 
but at the same time, I myself might might not have done that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's like I think even Daniel in the Bible he prays for the sins of Israel and he connects himself with Israel. Though Daniel probably didn't commit those same sins, mm-hmm. he he is a part of that people group, and so he he repents to God for the sin in general mm-hmm. that has been done. And so I think to kind of maybe hopefully answer the question. In a way, we get to be responsible for what has been done or a way of thinking and we have to repent. At the same time, I don't think we should sit here in shame and guilt and beat ourselves up if we as Christians haven't lived out like the stereotype might be for that people group. Absolutely. Yeah. How would you tell Really tough because some would say, <clears throat> well, you have because it's a part of the fabric and if you're white, then you are a racist. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Uh, I'll say a couple of ways. From the scriptures, we see kings, priests, and prophets acknowledge the sin of God's covenant community, which was not the United States of America. Mm-hmm. It's quite different. It was a theocracy. <clears throat> I think in that, again, prophet, priest, king, we see Christ acknowledging the sin of humanity. And so when you see a priest declaring the sin of the nation, they are uh, in some kind of weird way putting that sin upon a spotless lamb and mm-hmm. it's being slain for their sin. Um, so you see some community um, like repentance and generational repentance, and again of kings who have a voice over an entire nation. Mm-hmm. Um, in modern language, I think it was Neil Shinvier. I think he talked about you have a you know you can have racism without a racist. Mm-hmm. If this is true, though, and if I'm responsible for something that I that I didn't do, um, and again I get that. Uh, well, yeah, as a preface, like. Uh, unknowingly complicit, sure, in mm-hmm. lots of ways, right? Uh, received benefit of uh, systems that were broken, absolutely. I, I don't, you know, I'm not rejecting any of that. But if I'm a sinner because I'm white, then then God is responsible and is designed for that. Mm. And that's just not true. Yeah. So I'm not, I mean, and I get that this is so dicey and when you hear like, I, I get it, it would make people just scratch their, like, how is this possible? And like, you don't have to feel guilt for being who God made you to be. Yeah. Right? We can start there. That's mm-hmm. identity stuff. Um, we get to be liberated by our sin, by a Savior whose redemption is sufficient to to uh, alleviate and, and obliterate our sin. And so we are no longer literally guilty for sin, even mm-hmm. that we did do. Right. And yet, that doesn't change that we get to sit with and weep with and more, you know, all the things. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I think I... Eh. No, I mean, I think that's a, it's a really good point. Like, it's, it's a gospel truth that I would tell to a person of color, that I would tell someone in the LGBTQ community. Like, like you don't have to feel guilty for the way that God has made you. And you don't have to feel, carry guilt or shame for the, the corruption like, you know, of sin, suffering, whatever that has, like, happened to you that you don't have any responsibility or choice in. You know, whether it's color of the skin or whether it's orientation that you don't have any really choice in or whatever. Like, I, I would tell someone that. That's the, that's the same truth that I would tell any of us that might be in any other category that could be labeled as, like, ah, oh, you should feel guilty for this thing that you really had no part in or whatever. And so, I mean, I think I would answer the question... Uh, like, no, like you're, you're not guilty for someone else's sin, <laughs> period. Um, I think there are some follow-up questions, though. One is like, have you committed the same sin, though? 
Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's an important question. And then also like, did you did you know about it? Mm-hmm. Did you know that this was going on? Are you complicit in some way with like not speaking up and just letting that play out? Or now that you know about it, like, are you going to call it out? Like what does that require of you if you're aware now of some sort of sin? Uh, in some way, shape, or form. I th- there's a difference between being guilty and also taking responsibility, which I think is what we kind of see That's with good. the with Daniel and the Kings and all those things too. Is like we see them take responsibility um, and say, "Man, this is happening under my watch, or this is happening in in with my people that I'm a part of." And so, like, there is a shared responsibility and a shared identity there in some way. But it's not the same thing as like saying I'm specifically guilty for mm-hmm. committing this thing that, like, man, I I never did or whatever. And so. I also think it's important, like, the distinction between intention and impact. I think the law, like, the law makes a distinction, not, well, I mean, our law, certainly mm-hmm. U.S. law, but God's law makes a distinction between even someone who, like, like doesn't mean to harm someone or doesn't mean to kill someone, um, who doesn't, he's not lying in wait, you know, premeditated mm-hmm. murder, like, between that person and the person who is doing that. There's a distinction between intention and impact. And so, like, while, while I can have, I could have done something unknowingly, like not knowing that was harmful, not knowing that that was like contributing to something that was bad, like the impact of that was not good. Mm-hmm. My intention was not to do that. And that matters. Mm-hmm. The impact matters just because my intention was good doesn't mean the impact goes away. Like I'm, I'm responsible for that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like intention also matters. And if I didn't mean to hurt someone or harm someone, like that, that ramps up and ratchets up like the significance of that mm-hmm. to me. And so that's a distinction too that's been helpful that's in good. parenting yeah. and in lots of other things as well you know yeah if you benefit from and continue to benefit without like sounding the alarm yeah in in some yeah I, I mean I think like on a gospel foundational level like um, if we're not personally responsible for our personal sin mm-hmm. um, you, you can imagine like no one would ever say like oh gosh you know my my dad's faith saves me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and in the same way, his his sin doesn't condemn me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? And so, like, um, there there is personal accountability, cover to cover, um, that we have to acknowledge. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. So one of the tenets, uh, you know, of critical race theory uh, is that racism is it's a it is a permanent, pervasive, uh, it's a normal thing, and racial oppression. It hasn't disappeared, at least as we understand it here in this country. It's just evolved. Um, and so kind of with that in mind, like we've already kind of hit on this a little bit, but are people like in this system that would classify either you are an oppressor or someone who is oppressed based on your participation in majority culture or whatever, like, like is that true? Like is that distinction there by nature, oppressor or oppressed? No, that's, I would definitely yeah. say it's not true. Um, I think you go back to creation, and obviously, you know, we have stuff in our country that we hate or that, you know, we know about from history. But like, yeah, like we're created in God's image, and like we we, we don't we're not born just because of the color of our skin or whatever, liable or responsible for oppressor or mm-hmm. being oppressed. I think because of the fall, we're able to go there. Unfortunately, to be an oppressor or to also be oppressed. But at the same time, like that, we don't start out, and we don't, we don't just put our label on ourselves as mm-hmm. one or the other. Yeah, that's good. Well, I mean, I think you can be in an oppressor group, so to speak, mm-hmm. and not oppress, and you can be oppressed and also sin. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that's not, I mean, that's not the starting point for this conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think that undoes, like, if you're not culpable, it muddies it. Yeah, right? if you're not able to sin because mm-hmm. of 
a group that you're a part of like mm-hmm. that. Again, th- these are gospel foundations. Uh, if you're wrong because of just who you are, uh, and we can't shine light on things that are true, mm-hmm. um, or I mean, and, and I understand how this sounds. Um, being a part of yeah, I'm nearly forty white male Christian. I, I get it. Some would say, well, you can't speak to this. Right. Yeah, we'll get there. No, okay. Well, yeah. Well, let's just no, yeah, no, you, you no. We'll, we'll we'll kick it. That's okay. Fine. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I, I obviously, like so. I think this is not prescriptive. Like this idea of racism being permanent, pervasive, normal. Like that is, like that's not. I would disagree with that entirely. Um, uh, racial oppression hasn't disappeared. It's evolved. I would say this is not a thing that's like de facto true across the board for everything. I would say in some ways it describes a bit of our history in this country. How it's like, yeah, sure, we'll get rid of slavery, and also. Uh, eh, if we see you going over here, we'll arrest you and bring you back and you have to do some like, you know, labor, you know, like it's, it evolved Jim Crow laws. Like it, it has taken simply different forms mm-hmm. over time. Like sure. that's true. And you, and you re- really can't deny that. That doesn't mean that like, that it's always going to be, or if you like our, our theology would say, no, it's not permanent. Like in the new heavens and new earth, racism will not exist, <laughs> right? Uh, if if racism is normal in your church, please leave your church. <laughs> you know, like these, like the only thing, the only person that's immutable is the Lord. He's the only one who doesn't change. Um, we do get to change by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and by the gospel. Um, yeah. So I, I guess to that end, like, what hope I guess do we have? What is our hope? Knowing that, that racism for many people, it is like a normative experience in some ways. Doesn't mean that it's right. Doesn't mean that it's good. Uh, knowing it's been around for a long time and has taken different shapes, but also knowing that it, it doesn't have to be this thing that we can just be like, okay, well, I'm just giving up and it's going to be here forever and it is what it is. And I'm, you know, uh, simply an oppressor and I can't ever, like, what is, what is our hope? Like, what does the gospel, I guess, say to this? What is our hope for change here? Well, you hit on that, but like, just to tease that question out even further, like, so if if it's always been and it always will be, then it's actively a part of every single thing yeah. where the opportunity is there. Right. And that's just not true. That yeah. that's not justice. That that's not true. And and I get where that comes from. I totally get it. But so the hope if we miss this, if it's oppressor oppressed, then the 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 hope is at best to flip the script for a mm-hmm. few hundred years. Yeah. That's the hope. The win is to to change the power dynamic, and then the oppressed would be the the oppressor, mm-hmm. and we and we literally we see that legitimized, mm-hmm. and and I know in some of the Neil Shinvey stuff, um, you know he's talking about if you just replaced white with black, mm-hmm. if you just did that, you would see how ludicrous what we're calling justice is, mm-hmm. and it's it's crazy, and it. And, and I, I, I'm not minimizing the past, but the hope for, uh, for us would be a moving goalpost at best. If one group has to be at the top and one group has to be at the bottom, then it wouldn't matter. Um, you know, it wouldn't matter. You can interchange those groups and still injustice mm-hmm. reigns. And that is not okay. And so if, I mean, very specifically, if, if justice is always the cop gets jail time, that's not justice. Mm. And I get I, I get that this comes fr- from patterns and, and like I'm not minimizing any of that. I'm not minimizing 
the impact of of race and and all of the things and just messed up stuff for a long long time but that doesn't mean that today that you got what's coming to you because you did something that might have seemed like mm. like justice if if the color of the skin was flipped or if if whatever the scenario and so we get to fight for justice mm-hmm. that that seeks truth in love no matter what power dynamic is at play yeah and that man that's i that's i understand that's difficult and that can um maybe make me seem like i'm saying stuff that i'm not but but i think in order for god's justice to reign then we get to we get to figure out what's true and we get yeah. to live in light of that yeah i think we hit on this last episode a bit but like assumptions not a great thing mm-hmm. right and so uh, and talking about how the law is impartial. And we believe that whether rich or poor, uh, citizen or law enforcement officer, what have you, like the law is impartial to to everyone. And so, um, yeah, like we get to, I, I, our theology would say everyone, everyone that you meet, everyone that you ever see, interact with is an image bearer of God. They are a sinner. And they are a sufferer at the mm-hmm. same. They've been the recipient of sin. They've been on the receiving end of that. Um, that's true for every single person that you know. Uh, it's not just that they are either an oppressor or an oppressed group. Um, that's that is just not in line at all with with the scriptures. Um, our hope is that there is this fourth category that some of us get to be part of, which is saint, mm-hmm. and, and that happens in Christ. and And He works to restore our image bearing. He He enters into our suffering. And he, he takes responsibility for our sin. He sanctifies us in that way. And so, man, like I, I would say that the hope of the gospel is that Jesus saves oppressors and sanctifies them and gives them a heart for justice. And then he, he saves and comes alongside the oppressed and comforts them and lets them know there is a future hope of justice. Um, but neither one of them, just like we already said earlier, like are defined by their status or, or by like characteristics that they they can't control or by job, you know, occupations that they pick or what have you, you know? Um, so part of this conversation also involves like systemic justice in some way and, and uh, or injustice. And so like, um, I guess, how does this fit into this discussion? The way that we see it biblically, um, uh, how we're called to engage this as Christians. Yeah. How does uh, systemic justice or injustice fit into this conversation? Maybe just as a... a brief definition for systemic justice, maybe it's common, but I think mm-hmm. this is a form of injustice that is embedded through laws within society or an organization. So mm-hmm. it's it's something that's, you know, maybe top down more so or mm-hmm. widely almost quote accepted. And so yeah, how do we deal with that? Um, I mean that's that's tough. I think that we are we, we get to be reminded of whose kingdom we're ultimately a part of first. Mm-hmm. And so, like, like we talked about, it's not wrong to be an American. It's not wrong to be proud of our country. But we are not first and foremost an American. We are first and foremost, if we are saved, a Christian. Yep. And so we get to operate out of that ideal, out of those, those parameters, and remember that even though we live in a country that maybe has systemic injustice or racism or abuse or in some way inequality, we don't have to necessarily, we get to operate under the Bible's principles um, and, and live out of that first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just a sickening history of systems that have created where we are today. And I mean, I know we've talked about it in the past, but like the monopoly analogy, I've been playing by different rules 
up to this point, um, and I have a whole lot more money, and I have a whole lot more homes and hotels on this board, um, but but I'm not going to do that anymore. So from here on out, let's play by the same rules. Yeah. And then you just go on, and it's like, <laughs> what? Like that's, and and that's what that is what has happened. Sure. I mean, who's responsible? What do we do to? I, I don't know the answers to right. that, but yeah. but that is not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to acknowledge that that is not okay, and we get to no, we get to acknowledge that, um, you know, race for one, um, maybe as as much as any other culture, is, is it, there's so much tension around it because of that, and because of the way things happen at the foundation of our nation, mm-hmm. like. That that have real impact on the way things are today, mm-hmm. gosh. And so my first like my first thought is like just be just acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And if we can acknowledge that, like I don't know all of the way forward. I don't know policy. I don't know like what to do from here. But but uh, I know that uh, I'm not sitting in Congress right now. I, I'm sitting in a basement. Yeah. <laughs> and and so like we get to acknowledge how we got here. And for, for one, for me, that inflames my heart in, in a greater way when someone says, that, when someone that doesn't look like me says, it's just more of the same. And it's not me then quickly dismissing and saying, well, statistically, you're not, mm-hmm. like, and we, like, stats should be a part of the conversation. Sure. We don't just blindly, you know, like, build out narratives that may or may not be true, but Man, we get to just acknowledge that we got here through like incredible amount of unjust systemic mm-hmm. that means on the book stuff that got us here. And at the same time we get to acknowledge that like I, I think most uh, whatever color we are would say, well, things are better today mm-hmm. than they were in 1860, you know, for mm-hmm. people of color or, or whatever. And so we get to acknowledge that and we get to say, okay, well, like there's a trajectory and I it, it, it seems to be going in the right direction. And then, like, over the last few years, like, the world caught on fire. And, yeah. and but, like, you know, like, and so, I, I don't know, just being mindful of how we got here is really, really important. Yeah. I don't think Christians should be surprised. Uh, yeah, knowing that some systems, organizations, whatever, inhabited by sinful people, <laughs> like, happen to have sin, like, kind of built into policies or... I I think Tim Keller makes a really helpful distinction too. Is like sometimes, uh, like systemic injustice isn't just the the laws on the books are like clearly like aimed at like a particular group of people are clearly discriminatory in some way, mm-hmm. but the impact of that system, like if there's like a huge disparate impact upon groups of people, that's something to be mindful of too. Yeah. Again, not that every difference it has its roots in discrimination, but that's something to be mindful of in some ways. It's almost like the intent versus impact kind of thing. Christians shouldn't be surprised that, like, especially coming from, you know, knowing our history, knowing what was normative, what was accepted, that, like, oh, there might be things part of our system <laughs> that, yeah. like, you know, that are not good and that are unjust. So that shouldn't be surprising to any of us. Uh, but I think, like, even uh, kind of hopping down a little bit um, and some of our questions were, like, man, the, the scriptures speak to the oppressed and the oppressor and the just and the unjust and speak to unjust systems. Again, we, we preached through Micah last year and like the, I just remember the picture, uh, and I think it was one of the ones that I preached, like 
of of the leaders like boiling their people in stew and feasting on them like st- like the, the people in power who were exploiting their position, exploiting uh, you know what they taught and uh, the the policies they put in place, all that stuff, and just feasting on their people. And so like this is this is not new. Again, we don't need critical race theory. We don't need any any modern way of thinking about stuff to be able to see and recognize injustice that exists, not just in individuals, but individuals in power that then like affect all sorts of other things underneath them. Um, yeah, and so like, man, policies, laws, like when we recognize this stuff, um, helpful, like sometimes we need to change those things and help those things. And again, at the same time, we know that our aim um, as Christians is not merely to like help people be comfortable and experience more justice here, even though that's a great endeavor and that's worth fighting for. But we also get to do that in the name of Christ for the sake of worship as well. And so, um, yeah. Anything else on systemic injustice or you guys want to speak to? I mean, I just one category, one biblical category is just the idea of partiality. And like, Mm -hmm. in terms, I mean, cover to cover, like that's not okay. Yeah. And, And like, it's, it's just doing that maybe for a particular um, type of crime or mm-hmm. maybe for a particular type of person or whatever it is like and whenever you see that we get to say hey that's not okay mm-hmm. hey like can't do that like can't do that in righteousness right. that's not a righteous judgment based on mm-hmm. whatever the external category is right it's just putting one to advantage mm-hmm. by by reason other than yeah again yeah. skin color whatever it is like yeah, I think it's helpful because I think this comes up in reparations, which is not something exactly. we're talking about today, but like, because that's a whole complicated thing specifically for here in America and what that looks like around slavery and all those things. But like, I think some people confuse uh, impartiality and restitution. And it's like, no, sometimes giving people back what you've taken from them, that's just. <laughs> and and that you know what I mean? Like, that's not being impartial. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're giving something back to them that they were really owed and deserved. Um, but it also like, it does press us to how do we know, like, how can we calculate that? And how, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there are real, again, in a zero sum world where there's costs and that comes from someone and all that stuff. Like we have to be mindful of what that is too. And so impartiality, um, doesn't mean that we don't give back to folks what they're owed. And also, uh, the fact that folks may have been hurt and owed something doesn't mean we get to make all the laws like partial towards people too. So like there's a balance in that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so here's a, another claim of critical race theory. Um, and again, like you, you may, you may uh, subscribe to like critical race theory and say, well, that's not what I believe when I say this is a claim of critical race theory. And to that, I would say, great, that's really good. Um, but this is what, uh, if you do the reading, if you, uh, are listening and, and looking at what folks who, who explicitly claim to teach this and abide by it. This is some of the stuff you'll find there. Um, One of the claims is that uh, claims of objectivity, neutrality, universality, meritocracy, colorblindness, uh, these are all mechanisms to to disguise racism or just oppression um, in general. Uh, And also a claim is like, hey, lived experience of people of color is is critical to understanding uh, racism, um, even at its core. And so I asked you guys to define um, standpoint epistemology, uh, which kind of speaks to to these two claims in particular. Um, can you guys like describe what that is or define that and then like how it relates to this conversation, maybe even these claims here? Mm-hmm. Um, generally, I mean, have a written definition, but it's someone who maybe has been marginalized or 
abused is basically saying or believing that someone who hasn't been is able to in any way speak into or understand or have knowledge of their circumstance or their feeling and, and they're they're not able to contribute in any way meaningful. They kind of mm-hmm. almost block them out and say, unless you have been in my shoes and walked where I've walked and seen what I've done and, and felt what I've felt, then I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. Only, only I am able to speak to this because I am the one that's has had this against me or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think it was Justin Taylor. Was that uh, one of the, the articles? Article, yeah. yeah. Um, at the same time, variations of standpoint theory have arisen. This is from him, which applied to hermeneutics, which is how we interpret the scripture, mm-hmm. um, prioritizes voices from oppressed or minority groups because their lived experience offers exclusive insight into the biblical text. Mm-hmm. And we can go on from there, but that's the danger. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I just like... Like man, we get to. We do that. We all bring bring a lens to the scriptures. Yeah. Like we're, we're no one's like outside of the capacity to do that, and we get to fight against that. Mm-hmm. And and um, and so like we get to understand that the the scripture is enough, mm-hmm. and the spirit is enough, and that's our primary lens by which we see everything else, mm-hmm. versus. Uh, we wear lenses of anything, mm. economic, history, um, geographic, like literally any lens that you put on before you even get to it jades the way that we interpret Scripture. Yeah, yeah. Matt, to, to like speak to the claim specifically, it's true, like even to think about your, your uh, Monopoly example, like, okay, now we're going to be neutral, everything is fair again. Well, like, I mean, I didn't have to change my heart. I didn't have to whatever, like there's no real cost to me to like all of a sudden say, oh, everything's fair, everything's neutral. Like I'm colorblind now, you know, it's like, no, but no one's asking you not to see difference, you know, and really like that, it doesn't fix anything. And so I agree, like sometimes neutrality can be a cover for racism. You know, I I totally agree with that. Um, I don't think that neutrality and objectivity and all those things have to be, mm-hmm. you know, but I yep. think sometimes they can be. And so I, I think in a lot of these things, it's like the universality of these claims that I have issue with. Like they might describe some things, but they're not universally true in general. And even like lived experience of people of color, it's critical to understanding racism. Uh, yeah, like I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Like don't ask me to understand what it's like to be on the receiving end of racism. Mm-hmm. I will not be able to describe that to you. Um, but I can read voices and listen to people and, and gain a better understanding mm-hmm. of that. For sure. Um, does that mean that like that only people of color can speak to that, or that somehow like the truth about racism, that there's a, a gatekeeping element that like they have an access to knowledge or truth that we don't, or any other group of people? Um, no, like that's not what's meant there either. But is it helpful to li- absolutely? Help. You know. So yeah, sometimes I think it's the the universal application of some of these things that gets in our way. But definitely, like if if we believe if we like take these claims as they are, then man, like even the scriptures, we have no foundation for understanding what's there because I'm not a first century Jew. <laughs> so no. I can't understand, yeah. I can't understand yeah. the Bible because like, man, there's some access to knowledge and truth there that I just don't get, you know? Um, so I guess maybe like wh- where, like where is their merit in some of these things? Where does it go wrong? And how is it dangerous? Like if we can, if it's kind of taken to its conclusion? Well, I think, 
the, the Bible gives us wisdom all this. So, like we just said, though, experience is helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is. It, it does shape the way we think or help us to under, engage in a different way. Um, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, like you said, to, to understand truths from the Bible. And, and just because we haven't lived in someone's shoes doesn't mean we aren't able to determine what's right. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we aren't able to say, ah, this, this is wrong or it should be like this or this is God's plan and that's not how it's meant to be. And so we get to humbly have a voice to speak for, to those things, to engage, to, to teach here mm-hmm. at the church or however that goes. Um, all, the, all the while with a mindfulness, though, that there are people that also have experiences that are valid. Sure. Absolutely. I think the trouble is when truth of the scripture becomes not true mm-hmm. based on anything, and then the interpretation becomes the authority. And when that happens, then there's uh, it's it's troubling for us to figure out. Yeah, just really, what is true? Like at the end of the day, what is true if if we can only understand what's true based on having a certain lens in? The application becomes like where like we do get to say, oh gosh, like can someone who's reading Exodus um, who actually lived under a, a cruel Pharaoh like understand the the plight of mm-hmm. Israel in that like absolutely they can understand in a way that that if you were Pharaoh you would understand it quite differently like yeah and so like we but that that's the application and so as we're reading the scripture. We get to say what's there. Mm-hmm. What's there, not what am I bringing to it? Mm-hmm. How does this connect with what? Like, first we say, what is there? And so, to your first century Jew point, like, man, how does... what? what it's always talking about, like, the Hellenistic Jews. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Yeah. Well, I get to figure out what that means outside of anything that's happening right now mm-hmm. first. And once I do that, then I can draw implications and I can draw applications and I can draw connections right. based on the hearers in a room of a sermon or myself or... Or whatever it is, but that's the the uh, the outflow mm-hmm. of what's already established as true based on what the scripture actually says. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about Revelation the other day, and just like the bonkers mm-hmm. wildness that like that made sense. That <laughs> people read that book and they're like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's like what? Okay, <laughs> like without having to do any additional study or whatever. And so yeah, like. Like, there is stuff that we don't get right off the bat when we come to the scriptures or that I don't get when I hear someone tell a story or know about their life or whatever. Um, when it comes to the the scriptures, like, we get to say, um, that like, the, the goal, yes, we all have lenses. We all wear lenses. We should be mindful of those and how they shape the way we see the Bible. And, like, the goal is just not to take lenses off, mm-hmm. but it is to put on lenses of a first century Jew. Like, so we do get to, like, try to see the scriptures in light of... In, in light of who they were, so we can get what it means, so we understand, uh, or what it meant, so we can understand what it means for us today. Like, that's how we go about doing stuff. You know what I mean? Um, but at the end of the day, like, we believe that even if you don't have all the commentaries and all that stuff, like, truth is spiritually discerned. The scriptures say that. Yeah. Like, the truth is spiritually discerned. Um, Jesus is the, the, the way, the truth, um, and the life. And we have the word. Um, it's a supernatural experience to be able to, to... So if there's a gatekeeping element at all to understanding... What is true, it's it's simply having the Holy Spirit um, who helps us understand that stuff. And he is accessible to anybody, anywhere, no matter what your background is or where you're from or what language you know or what your experiences are or anything like that at all. Um, I think it is helpful to read a diverse set of voices, not just culturally or ethnically, but even like outside of like your faith tradition. You know, like I've learned a ton from people outside of, of the Reformed tradition that understand 
things differently and help me see, oh, I, I always thought that meant that. It's like, oh, no, like I, I see a oh, different way to, to experience yeah. that. Um, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but even just hearing like for many in the like black tradition of, uh, tradition of the black church or whatever, like they kind of come to the gospel through Moses and that like freedom from sin and free, like that liberation kind of bit, um, not liberation theology uh, proper, but like just understanding, man, like, because that's yeah. part of their story. Yeah. That's, like that's part of their history and they can jive with that in a way that, that I don't. And yet like, man, me, I came to the gospel through Paul, <laughs> you know, his logical propositions and all that stuff. And so like, man, all of that is good and helpful for me to see and appreciate other traditions and other places um, and not to, to learn from and to contribute and not to like tear down or say, ah, you don't really get it mm-hmm. or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's good, man. Um, yeah. So I guess in, in terms of anything else around this, in terms of the work that we're left with doing or how do we, how do we engage a bit that like, there's a, there's some truth to this, but you also can't take it all the way to its logical conclusion. I think what's so helpful is like, we don't get to, to hijack a biblical text. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, honestly, like we, we get to read it in light of lots of things, but like, just like, I know I've preached things and people expected me to speak to, we preached through Esther, right? We did mm-hmm. that, right? Yep. Um, and I remember there were a couple, like, man, you can go a lot of, I remember having a conversation with someone that was like, ah, I was really like disappointed that you didn't like herald mm-hmm. some element of Esther's, um, you know, being a woman and her voice. And we did talk about that. But I think, like, just just that is, like, an example mm-hmm. of, uh, well, I'm not shining light on something that that isn't there. Yeah. Like, that that's dangerous. It's right. dangerous in our reading. It's dangerous in, you know, certainly as a preacher or whatever. But I think what we get to do is we get to grow and learn into your point of, reading from a wide man like that is so helpful yeah like it's incredibly helpful um to to read from like a broad spectrum of, of vantage points but we get to submit all of those vantage points under uh the truth that that is spiritually discerned yeah i think there's a i think this cuts it pride and it also cuts it despair and understanding and knowing who god is because like there's a, an air of humility. We get to say, hey, I don't know it all. I no. can't know it all. I'm not the arbiter of truth. And I, I don't have, like I have access through the spirit, but not special access through my experience or anything like that at all. And also, like I don't have to despair because, again, I don't have all the commentaries or I didn't grow up in church or I didn't whatever. And we hear that stuff all the time. Like I'm not a good reader. Or I'm not a whatever. And it's like, yeah, but truth can flow through. You know what I mean? Like there's, so yeah, this goes beyond even just, ethnic stuff or, or, you know, oppressed, oppressed, whatever, like there's lots of application to this. And so we get to say, no, like, again, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Truth is spiritually discerned. We have the word um, and he can grow us and mature us and sanctify us in all those ways. And yeah, we get to approach the scriptures. We get to approach each other, slow to speak, quick to listen with humility and also with an expectation that his word, when it comes to us, it's not going to return to him empty, you know? but we'll continue to, to build us up and we get to learn. So, uh, so shifting gears to like even uh, like cancel culture, which is a real thing. And I think a fruit of the culture's desire to be just and go after what they perceive is wrong and, mm-hmm. and weeding out what seems to be wicked um, in the culture. And so what is specifically like the relationship between holding people responsible and 
clearly as Christians, like we, we tell a narrative of redemption. So how do we, how do we hold those two things together? Responsibility, holding people responsible and, and the idea of like leaving room for redemption. How does that play out? I think we get to season holding those things with grace, right? Because we have probably all thought or said things maybe 10 years ago that we have a slightly maybe more accurate perception of today. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't want someone to all of a sudden take a recording of 10 years ago and be like, that's who you are, yeah. or that's all that you think, or, mm-hmm. or because you said this one thing, now the trajectory of your life is this. And so cancel culture is, is a dangerous thing today. We're certainly, we have to take responsibility for what we say, and we have to be careful of the words that come out, mm-hmm. especially when we're talking about biblical stuff, but in general, all of life. Mm-hmm. At the same time, man, if we're just looking to to cut someone down, or to look for a fault, or to try to destroy someone's argument and nitpick a little bit, mm-hmm. and that's like that's a dangerous place to be as well. That's great. I, I love the foundation of cancel culture, which is shining light on injustice. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. love when people who have for you know thirty years and in, in whatever you know Hollywood or whatever it is like have been living and and mistreating people in ways that are just like reprehensible. Mm-hmm. I I love when the light shines on. Mm-hmm. Let's. Like right. that's what the Bible says is going to happen mm-hmm. at some point, no matter what. Um, and so, what a great thing! And, and honestly, the 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 downside to everyone having a microphone is is also the upside. Mm-hmm. That like, dude, you can't live that way mm-hmm. and yep. expect like no one to get upset about it because it's not okay. Right. So all that, I'm all for, like, I love that. Yeah. Um, what I'm not for is like the the lack of like again reasonableness or or benefit of doubt or like letting time hey you said you know matt said 10 years ago i'd say like 10 minutes ago for me like i I know i said stuff 10 minutes ago um that'll get me canceled or whatever and so um but like man like letting someone give account to something Mm -hmm. there's beauty in that like like you said this 10 years ago or you said this last you you said uh, this whole political ideology in less than 160 characters like tell us what you meant by that yeah and and actually hearing them yeah like can you imagine <laughs> there was a time when that was okay <laughs> That's hey like yeah. tell me more about what you were saying there because it seemed crazy mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you were saying that this was okay and can you imagine? Like to me, even saying those words sounds like sweet nectar <laughs> in this society that we live in. It's, there's there's no explanation, and a lot of it is anonymity, mm-hmm. and you can say anything you want because you don't know the people, and mm-hmm. you know, and so you just lob grenades. And so, um, yeah, what is true? And mm-hmm. and we get to look at evidence, and we get to hear voice, and we mm-hmm. get to like piece things together, and we get to to your point, Matt, let um, grace fill in gaps mm-hmm. and like what a gift. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like when you, when something happens and it's atrocious and, and you say, this was not okay. You did this. You said this. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so, so what are you going to do about that? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. And in today's cancel culture, uh, we don't really give space. And, and on the other hand, and then I'll let you talk, Scott, I promise. <laughs> no, you're good. You're um, fine. those that hate cancel culture, man, are really quick to cancel people. And so <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, th- that's just a fact. And so you like, like cancel culture, you're canceled. <laughs> Real thing. I mean, just real, a, a real thing. Yeah. So. No. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Like, uh, exposés on whatever. The church. Like, let the truth come out. Like, as Christians, we should not be afraid of the truth, mm-hmm. you know, about the church or about whatever. And so, let it come forth. And, you know, we get to 
find our standing in Jesus. We get to work for redemption. We get to call sin, sin. We get to come alongside those who've been hurt. You know, whatever it happens to be, we get to be people who not just like begrudgingly deal with the truth, but we should love the truth. And because we know that that leads to life and fullness of life and justice and all those things. And so, yeah, we should love that. Um, yeah, I agree. Like it, a heart of it seems to be like at one point maybe was good, but now it's just, it feels like posturing, you know, companies or corporations or whatever, just, just posturing, like making it seem like they're taking a stance on something when they're really not like you just fired a person. I mean, that's not like, I don't know. It it feels disingenuous when that's, if that's the only action is this external cutting off and you're not going to go back and deal with whatever or so like it, it just it feels disingenuous a little bit like it's just marketing you know at mm-hmm. this point in lots of ways but i think like our our aim in the gospel obviously is is redemption is reconciliation we should want to see people who would be canceled by culture come to christ own their sin be yeah. redeemed see them changed you know like we believe in redemption we believe in change um progressive sanctification and all those things and that doesn't mean that just because we believe in redemption that we believe that people are restored back to their former position or their former spot or whatever. Yeah. There are consequences, you know, to, to former actions that might actually come with, you know, well, you don't get to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't get to have that voice anymore. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, but also, like we in the gospel get to say, and just because you don't have that job anymore doesn't mean you're standing before Jesus is any mm-hmm. less. You know, it's the same in Christ. And so, like... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think uh, to be mindful of even our own hearts in that if we're like wanting to find something wrong and pointing blame, like guilt and shame and fear are should never be motivators in the church, never be motivators in the gospel. We get to care for those who have been hurt and we get to, to speak truth and call people to repentance, you know, which is good news when your identity is in Christ. So, um, yeah, any other thoughts on cancel culture stuff or... So. Good. Cool. Uh, so, all right. <clears throat> this is uh, like our final little tenet here of critical race theory is that racism, sexism, classism, uh, heterosexism, all these different things are linked forms of oppression that must be fought simultaneously, like at the same time. So um, with that in mind, like there's no shortage of hashtags, movements, causes, all that stuff that we can be a part of that are happening right now. Um, Just in terms of like wisdom, like can we, should we align with all the things that might even seem good and and might be for justice? Like how do we even sort through like Mm -hmm. navigating some of that stuff? I think it's tough, but man, we've talked a lot about a grid here at the village of like reject, redeem, or, you know, Embrace, I don't know the other yeah. part. Yeah, receive, receive, receive. That yeah. Is that. And I think that we get to apply that to these mm. because on um, a lot of these movements, um, there is some good in, in many of these things where I think it's the world maybe not having a biblical lens saying there's something wrong here, mm-hmm. but maybe it's it's fleshed out then in a way that we would say, ah, oh, that's not the correct way or it goes too far or it doesn't yeah. say what the Bible says. And so it's not that we, we reject all these things and say, well, because they do this or have done this or things like this, there's nothing to it. But we get to, hopefully by God's grace, redeem these things and say, man, there is something underneath that. Underneath the Black Lives Movement or Matters for instance, mm-hmm. gosh, like maybe not everything we would say we can get behind that but from a biblical perspective. But to also see that that's coming from a place 
where there has been hurt or oppression or rejection. Yeah. And we get to we get to come alongside that because the Bible comes alongside that and we get to value that. And so it doesn't mean we embrace everything, doesn't mean we reject everything, but it means we get to as Christians with wisdom come alongside what the Bible comes along. It's really good. Yeah, I a couple thoughts. One, you're probably not going to see a political sign in my yard. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because I'm not going to put uh, a person or, I mean, a movement or whatever because I don't, uh, technicalities matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they do matter. I, I'm not minimizing yeah. any of that. And so, like, I don't know uh, the stance of every, you know, whoever it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. John Doe. In my, do you know that John Doe thinks this about? Well, I didn't know that. Let me move this. Up. <laughs> right. So I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And likewise, probably not going to, you know, like use divisive hashtags. Not because I don't care about Black Lives or the lives of women or, or whatever. Um, it's because, yeah, like you said, Matt, those things, like youth those things may not mean what you think that they mean. Mm-hmm. And so we get to do this. If, if someone has a BLM shirt on, you don't get to say, oh my gosh, I'm never talking to my coworker again. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that he, can you believe that his son, you know, had a, a BLM shirt on mm-hmm. his Y2K or his 2K character and yeah. PS4, what, like, what, like crazy, just dismiss people. But we get to say, hey, why are you wearing that shirt? That's yeah. like, a, that, that sounds human. <laughs> hey, what, like, we don't get to like approach that from a political or ideal. Mm-hmm. Like some people might just be like, "Dude, I'm a white guy and I I want to support my brothers who are suffering injustice." Mm-hmm. Okay, well yeah. I don't have to villainize you, like yeah. just because like whatever. And so we get to like interact. Uh, gosh, as dare I say, like as humans, uh, and and engage in conversation. Um, but I will say, like, if your hashtag is for biblical justice and gospel identity, just like I said when I was preaching in Micah, dude, I'm all for you. I'm mm-hmm. all for whatever it is that you're doing. And if you're against biblical justice and against your identity being in the gospel, like, I'm not for, like, that as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I was uh, finished reading Preston Sprinkle's book on uh, transgender uh, stuff called Embodied, and he says this over and over and over again, which I think he, it's a phrase he borrowed from someone else, but uh, if you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. <laughs> not, not, not all of them. And I think the same is true what you were saying about just the assumption. Again, we've been on this a few times, like assumptions that we bring when we see things or hashtags or whatever. Like we bring assumptions instead of just being curious, you know, and mm-hmm. wanting to ask them more about that stuff. and. Yeah, I had a political sign in my yard for like three days, like a year or two ago from an old neighbor that used to live next to me and he was running for a judge and his wife came. Hey, would you, hey, would you put a sign in your yard? I was like, sweeter. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, just to be a good neighbor. And then it sat there for a few days and I was like, oh my gosh, but I don't know. I, I don't know all the things that this guy stands for and experiences like at party and everything. It's like, there's just too much in here. And so I think like that little instance, like demonstrating for me an ethic of, I want to be divisive and I want to take a stand and plant my flag in Christ, you know? And so if people cut me off, write me off, whatever, let it be for Jesus. Hmm. Let it not be for some political thing or hashtag or whatever. Mm-hmm. And people are going to do that. People have done that uh, partially on, on because of me, and I'm an idiot, uh, and, and partially because other people are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like that, no that's offense. Just, no offense, yeah. Uh, just objective truth. Um, no, but like this is the real thing. And so for me, when it comes to, yeah, causes, movements, um, ideas, all this stuff, like I, and to your point, Matt, I love that. Like these things are coming from a place and this, 
one of the things just digging into what can we learn from like the seemingly the cultural necessity of these things constantly popping up is there's work to be done right yeah. like there's there's work to be done. there's injustice still out there there's pe- people are craving a fix they're craving for the world to be set right and they see wrongs and sometimes it's right sometimes it's not lots of times it's somewhere in the middle or whatever but people are wanting that and so man like i i don't want to personally align myself wear the t-shirt you know, use the hashtag, change my banner on social media or whatever, like for a thing that doesn't have Christ as its cause. Yeah. Because, yeah, exactly what you said. Like, I, 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 the technicalities matter. I don't know where they land on this or that. And just because I agree with this lever doesn't mean I agree with whatever's over here or where they're going to go next yeah. year. That's like, the thing. Which is, if we have seen anything, again, in the last few years, it's that it's the polarization of people and where they're headed. And I just don't want to put my stake in anyone other than, G- than Jesus. And so for me, not going to jump on bandwagons, but I am. I, I desperately, when those things come up, I want to listen and figure out what is going on here. And then, gosh, all right, what does what good news does Jesus bring into this thing for those people? How is that affecting my community? There are people I know who are impacted by this. That's kind of where I go with those things. So I have a picture of that sign in your yard, and you're canceled. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Jeez. You're one of those idiots. Then. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Any final thoughts on uh, just this particular question, or just in general, anything we've talked about thus far? I mean, as it relates to critical race theory, two conversations: one uh, with real humans. Um, everything flows through this, and that can't be true because that would be mm-hmm. like that means that nothing was true before 1970. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and the other is like if I have to hear the words critical race theory one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. And so yeah. I think just when you put all of this stuff together, um, man, we get to be informed. Mm-hmm. These things are forming mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. They are shaping our yeah. culture in like in like dangerous ways. Like yeah. left, right, whatever, however you, like wherever you land on this stuff, just know that it does matter. Mm-hmm. It, it matters. Mm-hmm. This stuff matters. Yeah, 100%. That's what we're talking about it. Um, we wouldn't talk about it if it was insignificant. You know what I mean? Like, be discerning about this stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, just encourage folks to continue having conversations about it. Be open-handed about things that aren't from the scriptures. Um, and don't ascribe biblical authority to something that isn't from the Bible. Um, yeah, and so just an invitation. Like, if, again, saying stuff, if we've said things that you're like, ah, I would say this, but I don't believe that, or you're dumb, you're the idiots, you know, or whatever. Like, we would love to talk with you um, about this stuff. This is not a one-and-done thing. We're not doing this podcast so we don't have to talk to you about stuff. Like, we, we want to talk to you about things. So let us know uh, if you would like to have conversations more about this stuff. Um, but hopefully this is helpful even as we're going through. Just this chunk in Exodus um, helps you kind of navigate even the way that you see the Bible uh, in some ways. Hopefully this little mini-series has been helpful. To that end. So uh, thank you guys for putting in your time and energy and effort into studying and having this conversation. And thanks to you all for listening. Hopefully this was helpful and uh, we'll see you next time.